Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark. I'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you, he answered. Let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. There was a pastor in a small southern town who wanted to help his three-year-old granddaughter, Dana, deal with a particular fear. She was afraid of the fire siren in her town that rang every day at noon. But whenever that siren went off, whether it was at noon or some other time, Dana would be scared. She would start crying. So her grandfather suggested to her that whenever she heard the siren, she should stand up and yell at the top of her lungs, Go home! It's time for lunch! Sure enough, no more tears. Grandpa's suggestion worked. Next day, siren went off at noon. Instead of crying, Dana stood up and said, Go home! It's time for lunch! Of course... You can probably guess by now what happened. One Sunday morning, Grandpa's sermon went a little bit long. (laughs) He was preaching, telling this wonderful story, and right at the height of the story, the siren went off, and little Dana stood up in her pew and yelled at the top of her lungs, Go home! It's time for lunch! Throughout his ministry, Jesus was continually surrounded by a crowd of people. They pressed on him wherever he went. There were probably times when he wanted to just say to them, Go home, it's time for lunch. But people wanted to touch him, see him, listen to him, be near him. On the days recounted in this morning's scripture, Jesus and his disciples are leaving for the synagogue. When he is confronted with the sickness of Peter's mother-in-law, she has a fever. So what does Jesus do? He heals her. He takes her by the hand and helps her up. The fever leaves her. And what does she do? She goes back to work. She waits on Peter James, John, Simon, Andrew, and Jesus, and the other disciples are probably there as well. After the sun sets in this small town, 
All the people bring their sick and demon-possessed. The whole town is gathered at the door where, while they are healed. Nothing more is said here in the Bible about Peter's mother-in-law, but I am sure she could not have imagined after starting her day with a deadly fever that she would find herself entertaining 12 disciples and their rabbi and every single one of her neighbors. She probably wanted to shout out, Go home, it's time to go to bed. At some point that evening, though, they all finally got some sleep. But instead of sleeping late the next day, Jesus gets up before dawn and leaves the house to pray. Peter and the other disciples have to go looking for him. When they find him in solitude and prayer, Peter says, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replies, you're right, Simon. Now that he has taken the time to pray, he says, let's go to the next town so I can proclaim the message there. But first, he had to take time to pray. Jesus knew the importance of prayer. Have you ever prayed for God to take a situation from you and to handle it for you? Have you ever prayed for more people to come to church? Jesus often went off by himself to pray, to talk, and to listen to God. It is in those moments of prayer and solitude that we are enabled to hear that still, small voice. God hears all of our prayers and listens to us. But do we take time to listen to God? Jesus takes time to pray, and then he says, let's leave this solitude and go to work. And then he adds, that is why I have come. He understood the charge he had to keep, and he had to set about doing it. I want you to notice carefully this short Subtle exchange between Peter and Jesus. Peter has just come from his mother-in-law's home saying, Jesus, everyone's searching for you. Everyone's searching for Jesus. Most likely, as soon as the sun came up, the whole town descended on that poor woman's house again. The word about Jesus had spread. The whole community was at the door looking for him. And the disciples had no idea what to do. They had no idea how to heal the sick. They had no idea how to cast out demons, how to open the eyes of the blind. So Peter runs to find Jesus to bring him back to town. And Jesus replies, let's go somewhere else. People in other villages need me too. God is calling me somewhere else. We need to focus on our own God-given priorities and not let concerns distract us from our calling. The great architect Frank Lloyd Wright was fond of an incident that may have seemed very insignificant at the time, but that had a profound influence on the rest of his life. The winter he was nine years old, he went walking across a snow-covered field with his reserved, no-nonsense uncle. As the two of them reached the far end of the field, 
His uncle stopped him. He pointed out his own tracks in the snow. He said, Frank, look at my tracks. They're straight and true as an arrow's flight. And then look at your tracks, meandering all over the field. Notice how your tracks wander aimlessly from the fence to the cattle to the woods and back again, his uncle said. And see how my tracks aim directly to my goal. There is an important lesson in that. Years later, the world-famous architect liked to tell how the experience had contributed to his philosophy in life. I determined right then and there, he said with a twinkle in his eyes, not to miss the things in life that my uncle had missed. Frank Lloyd Wright saw in those tracks what his uncle could not. He took the time to follow his own way. Frank Lloyd Wright became a brilliant architect because he took time to see things in a new and different way. Now, in every church that I've served, we have a saying. I don't know if it's true here or not, but in answer to the question why we did things in a certain way, the answer was always, because we've always done it that way. Oh, somebody's laughing. I must be true here, too. In his book, Dropping Your Guard, Charles Swindle tells the story of Flight 401, bound from New York City to Miami with a load of holiday passengers just before Christmas. As the huge aircraft approached the Miami airport for its landing, a light came on, a light that indicates proper deployment, or light didn't come on, I'm telling you the story wrong, I'm sorry, light did, that indicates proper deployment of the landing gear did not come on. So the pilot, the co-pilot, didn't know what to do. They started flying in a circle over the swamps of the Everglade while the cockpit crew checked out the failure of this light, trying to decide if the landing gear had really failed to deploy or whether it was just a defective light bulb. The entire crew became so focused on this little light bulb that no one noticed that the plane was losing altitude. Finally, it dropped right into the swamp. An entire airplane. Dozens of people were killed in the crash. While an experienced crew of seasoned pilots messed around with a 75-cent light bulb, the plane and many of its passengers were lost because the crew momentarily forgot the most basic of all rules of the air, don't forget to fly the airplane. Same thing can happen in a church. Church can have so many activities and programs and projects and committees and meetings and meals that the congregation forgets its primary objective. So what is Jesus' goal? Jesus says he must take time to proclaim the message by preaching, teaching, healing, forgiving, and loving. He comes to share the good news of the kingdom of God. He comes to invite others to take time to share in the joy of his kingdom. In his book, Power Surge, Pastor Michael Foss 
tells about a problem confronting the altar guild at his church. The chair of the committee came to him and said, We just have too few of us to do the job anymore. And pastor, frankly, we're tired. Does this sound familiar? So Reverend Foss recruited three new young church members to join the altar guild. But three months later, all three of these women resigned. Each one gave the same reason. The other women didn't really want us to help. Fran and I are only here for a few weeks. When she comes back, Pastor Amy can't do it alone. If this church is going to fulfill its purpose, it's up to you. You know the good news of Jesus. You've experienced his message, his healing, his love. So don't be distracted by other tasks. Your task is to love others as God loves you. Your task is to welcome others into Christ's work in the world. Your purpose is to win this lost world to Jesus Christ. When diversions try to tempt you, remember not to let them define your purpose. And when temptations and distractions and all of the genuine obligations of living up to your purpose seem overwhelming, remember to take time to pray. Our Lord needed to do so, and so do you. When we take time to talk and to listen again to God, we will find our true calling and the strength that we need to achieve it. Amen.